You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. Hello, hello, everyone. We've got quite the tale for you today. I'm excited to talk about this one. Yeah, me too. I was really excited when you sent it over. And obviously, we kind of know what the story is just because it was publicized somewhat. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad that they explored it like they did because I learned some stuff. And of course, I always appreciate that. So it was equal parts tragic and unbelievably ballsy arrogant (laughs) was the word I was thinking yes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah today you guys were going to talk about the documentary the mission this was just released at the end of 2023 it's an hour and 43 minutes long it's a national geographic documentary that you can find on hulu and I think maybe disney plus but I didn't look there I did see it on hulu Mm -hmm. directed by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss now This story is about a young gentleman who took it upon himself to try to deliver the word of the Lord to the, Mm -hmm. in theory, last tribe that has not been contacted by civilization. And a spoiler, it didn't, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. This was in 2018, I believe, right? Yeah, that's what I understood as well quick note that there's a disclaimer at the beginning of this Mm -hmm. where they discuss that there's going to be some nudity and then there will also be a little bit of imagery showing mistreatment of indigenous people and cultures Mm -hmm. that scared me a lot I was like oh my god what's going to be I don't think it's graphic stuff I don't think it's something that would inhibit somebody from watching but it's uh of it's it's a sensitive nature. So just be aware of that. Right. It's not something that is shocking to us because this is history that has been taught to us. Like it was okay behavior, right? So this is not new for us to see. Now, if you are of an indigenous culture, it might be very traumatizing to see. Mm -hmm. I would not judge anyone for saying that they couldn't watch it because of that, but yeah, it's, it's interesting the different perspectives because, yeah, we were honestly told this is exactly what you're supposed to do. Right. Right. Yeah. We can talk a little bit about kind of the main parties here if you want to. The people that are about to be contacted, <laughs> that's them. The Sentinelese, mm-hmm. they inhabit a very remote island called North Sentinel Island. It's part of the Adamandans. Mm-hmm. I said that totally wrong. I think it's interesting that you said, I mean, there's sort of this theory, right? That they're the last that haven't been contacted, but the truth is they have been contacted and they're like, no, no thanks. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the story here also, which I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. And then the other cat that this is focused on is a, a guy named John Chow, who is a self-professed, he wants to be a missionary, which is the other big theme that runs through this. He, of course, wants to spread the word, but he says things like, 
is Nora Sentinel Island the Sa- Satan's last stronghold? And I really don't like that. Mm-mm. I really don't like that terminology. Mm-mm. So yeah, I'll be interested to see what you think of some of these themes. Well, I mean, first of all, I think anyone who's listened to us for more than, I don't know, two episodes would know that <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not religious necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I guess I get really upset when people who are Christian specifically say that like they want to do missions because they need to give these people the word of the Lord, because otherwise they won't go to heaven. These people who God put here and put in this situation mm-hmm. and created all of this. Mm-hmm. If no one gets to them and tells them about Jesus as their savior, they're going to go to hell. And that really, I'm like, and you're okay with that as a religion? You're okay with a God that would do that? Yeah, that's really, that's very difficult. It's such a catch-22, I guess, for the people that haven't heard the word. And there's a lot of talk about, like, what free will is and some of those kinds of higher concepts, which is, Mm -hmm. again, what you're kind of talking about. But it is a little rough to think. They're just, they're waiting for you. And if you don't get it done fast enough, then they're you know, eternal souls are on your hands. (laughs) Now go make good decisions. People who are under pressure. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And one person had thought of, had said that too. He said when he was young in demissions that he just assumed they were sitting there waiting for him with open arms to spread the good word. And he would go in and preach the gospel and leave and the world would be right again, essentially, which I think Mm -hmm. is hilarious. And very, it's a very young idealistic fantastical romanticized view all the adjectives in there yes but we are idealistic when we're in our teens and 20s right i mean it's not until we get old and grizzled that we're like well that's fucking stupid (laughs) (laughs) we all become laura in the back of your office (laughs) yeah fucking stupid (laughs) yeah i there were parts of this that i really liked they have some um what i'm going to call firsthand accounts because they have John's journals, which were recovered after his trip to North Sentinel Island. Mm -hmm. There's some commentary from his dad, Patrick. Um, He did not appear on camera, but there is a snippet that discusses that he's written some kind of very eloquent and lovely letter. And they have taken bits and pieces out to include in the documentary, documentary from his point of view on this. So they also have some animation and then they also have john as the youths do he had pretty active social media stuff so there's lots of clips of him like doing stuff outside with gopro cameras and whatnot so he was documented quite a a bit of his life just in general potentially some that is applicable to this trip in particular but um he just you know they i think want you to get a sense of who he was Mm -hmm. so it's nice to be able to see him and like you know, how he interacts with nature or whatever. So um, it was neat. I liked that part of it. I did too. And he, he does seem like a good kid, right? He seems like a genuinely good kid that just wants Mm -hmm. to help people. He just might've had the wrong influences pushing him to this extreme. So what I find interesting is his father, Patrick had talked about how enchanted John was when he was younger with like, exploration and the the, like colonial era of exploration where people were discovering all these new things which we don't really do anymore because we've kind of 
seen it all again, rolled and grizzled as a world. <laughs> yeah. And, but he would, he would read books and watch movies and hear these stories. And he wanted to be an explorer. He wanted to do those things. So when he's called to mission later in life, it was interesting to me that it lines up very neatly with what he already wanted to do. Right. So, I mean, Robinson Crusoe, right? Hatchet, um, all of these outdoor adventure type things. Mm -hmm. And he really has focused in on, like you said, that colonial exploration where you just roll up on a beach and you don't know whether you're going to be, making war or making love with the, you know, <laughs> the indigenous people that you find. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it's just like, it never occurs to anybody that they're like, could you just get your boat off our front porch, please? <laughs> like, it's so strange that they're like, you know, they're anticipating you rolling up on them at any given moment mm-hmm. and either they'll be friendly or they'll be hostile. Know, mm-hmm. Hostile. And nothing in between. Right. And you're right. I mean, there's, I love how it's like, listen, we found you. We discovered you. I mean, in reality, these people have been here. <laughs> they didn't need discovered. They're fine. Thanks. Right. Take your smallpox yeah. blankets and get off my fucking island. Uh, yeah. It's just the audacity. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. Was it manifest destiny? Is that what they called it? Like, we have the right to this. Yeah, basically. And the fact that it's still going on now. Yeah. Like, you want to think that that's uh, era gone by, but that's not the case. It is still active. Yeah. So, yeah, it's neat. Mm, Super neat. So, he grew up in a Christian household. The parents were Christian. His dad Mm -hmm. had, I don't want to say emigrated. He left China as a refugee. He came to the U.S. Mm -hmm. as a refugee. And they don't talk about his mom very much. She is white. His dad was Chinese, so he is mixed. Mm-hmm. But they were raised, they, he had two siblings. They were all raised Christian, but not fundamentalist, not evangelical. I think kind of very boring. White bread Christian. Yes, very white bread Christian. <laughs> yeah. And we mm-hmm. got to the burnt toast Christian yet. <laughs> we're getting right. there. But he was raised that way, and he was raised in Christian schools he ended up going to the Oral Roberts College, which made me really uncomfortable to think of the fact that this cat even has a college and people go there. I didn't know that, but I probably yeah. didn't want to. Yeah. And it's such a different viewpoint than how John had it because he really was into the word, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have a little bit of distance and we're like, oh, that could be problematic as you know, we're looking at it. Perhaps, and I don't want to, you know, of course I, you know, someone, you have to to make some assumptions about the people that you're speaking for. So the indigenous folks are not waiting on these people, but as missionaries, there's almost like this weird hero worship. There's um, Messiah complex. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really gross to be like, well, I'm going to go in there and they're going to treat me like a God because I guess they just assume that all indigenous folks are just sitting around rubbing sticks together. And I'm like, they they've got it under control. They're living, they're doing all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of judgment, lots of judgment of people that are different, Mm -hmm. people that are non-white oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we got to go in with our white savior complex and save everybody. Yeah. It's difficult. Well, and what they talked about, what the evangelicals have is what's called the great commission, 
Um, mm-hmm. And apparently it, it's the fact that you have to spread the word to every corner of the earth, right? Jesus mm-hmm. will not come back until every single corner of the earth has been contaminated for lack of a better word with Christianity. Right. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's just, yeah. that's not good, but that's what they live by. Right. I mean, you know, we got to keep this moving forward. Yeah. So it's functional and it's just housed differently. It's like yeah. you should, it's a celebration, but it's really just, you know, propagation. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have more control. Mm-hmm. The more people we have doing this. One of the cats we talked to is named Daniel Everett. Okay. Documentarians. This is a comment I'm going to make to you about this documentary. It was amazing. <laughs> However, you didn't put a single name up. We had no idea who these people were half the time. I mean, they would introduce mm-hmm. themselves while I met Dan or I met John doing this or I met John doing that, but they didn't say their names or anything, which made it very difficult for me to write their names down, but closed captioning saved the day. Mm-hmm. So just a note. Can confirm. But Daniel Everett talks quite a bit throughout this about how he was very much like John when he was young, very mm-hmm. much into the word. Like you said, wanted to spread the word, wanted to go on mission. Talks about how he read the same books that Daniel was reading. Apparently there's some, there were like these five people who went to Ecuador to reach his tribe, but they ended up dying and there's a whole movie and John got obsessed with this movie and, you know, was like, this is what I want to do. Become a martyr, I guess, was what he wanted. But, and after these five people were killed, the sister of one and the widow of another hiked in and they were accepted by the tribe. I think everyone was amazed. And I think maybe because women are much less threatening than men. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. At no time was anybody like, you know what we should do? we should maybe let women talk to people Mm -hmm. because maybe that would cancel out this whole, like, are they going to steal our women? You know, cause that might be a threat Mm -hmm. to somebody who's, you know, thinking about their resources Mm -hmm. and being contacted. So, and having seen that happen to other tribes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Edge of the spear is the name of that movie. It came out in 2005. Okay. I won't be watching it. Right. Even though we would kind of consider this a failed attempt because they were killed. Mm -hmm. Because the women went back in, they were accepted by the tribe and evidently um, ended up converting them. Mm -hmm. That is considered a win for your Great Commission folks, right? A win for the Lord. Yeah. And this was back. um, They showed some clips of the actual people that did all this. Um, one's, one lady's name was Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot. But they come back and they go like on a circuit of talk shows and stuff. And they also bring an indigenous lady from the tribe with them. And it just made me very sad to watch it. Because why do you have to broadcast that you did this? What is the point of that? Wow. If you're just doing it for God? It's not your glory. How will people know how amazing you are if you don't tell them all these things you do? How will people know that you help the poor if you don't film yourself giving them the dollar as you walk by? I know. I just, it's, it's just so problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Philanthropy should not be a public display. 
-hmm. In the end, it's good that these people are getting, you know, philanthropy-wise, people will get money and resources. But Mm -hmm. mission work is not philanthropy, in my opinion. It's just colonialism with a fun lemon zest. Right. It's wrapped up in sheep's clothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, ooh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, after John watched this movie a thousand times, I'm sure, he said he prayed to God and asked him where he was supposed to go. And apparently God didn't tell him because then he did an internet search about unreached people groups. Mm -hmm. I would never have thought of putting that into a Google search. Again, though, problem. Why do these people need a label? Well, you know, there's a whole website that tracks that tracks the shit. So this website was tracking like the different tribes, how many people were in them, what percentage was converted to Christianity thus far. What who keeps these fucking metrics? Who's getting a bonus at the end of the year for these metrics is what I want to know. Yeah. And what's your source material? Yeah. Yeah. That's not at all. If they're biased. unreached people. Well, in this case, <laughs> yeah. in this case, they're like, oh, 0% converted mm-hmm. for this tribe. Right. So that was mm-hmm. his moment of the heavens opened and the angel saying, and he was like, this is it. This is my chance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Someone else we talked to is Adam Goodhart, who wrote a book called The Last Island of the Savages about the Sentinelese people. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is he was probably in his early 20s, I think, when he said he went out there. He never landed on the island. He knew that would be suicidal and stupid. He was on a boat Mm -hmm. offshore, kind of monitoring them, watching them. That's redundant. You know what I mean? I do. <laughs> but he, what I think was really funny is because he was also interested in adventures as a kid and he had mm-hmm. heard about the Sentinelese. And so he didn't know where it was. He looked it up on a map and I guess on one of like the oldest maps ever once he found it and then he started doing more research, it has it listed as the Island of Good Fortune. And then there's a little comment next to it that says, in these islands are cannibals. <laughs> how many tribes have enlisted as cannibal tribes? And just because people didn't know them, hadn't been, you know, other like Europeans were not familiar with them, had not been there. And so they just sure. made that sweeping statement. Well, it's the same thing that the title of the book's got savages in it. And that's like carries a lot of connotation and mm-hmm. um, let's just call it otherness. Um, we just don't, we cannot get past our own shit. Yeah. I feel like, we hear that a lot or we did, or you see it in historical context that oh, all these cannibals. And I think on one hand, it makes people white people feel even more entitled to go in and do horrific things. Cause they're like, Oh, well they were like you said, savages. So um, mm-hmm. we had to, to take care of it. Right. They're lucky. We came and put a stop to all this is basically the vibe that this whole thing gives off. And it's pretty rough. Now I think it's fair to say, there have been some interesting instances of, uh, you know, when the white folks won't take the hint that you don't want them here. Um, they might do some things to missionaries like sew them into a bag full of scorpions and snakes and then throw them into the ocean. I mean, I mean, I think that's good marketing to be like, just leave us alone. Like, we don't want you here. Right. 
No means no, (laughs) man. You don't get the message. (laughs) So now we're going to have to take matters into, you know, like a little bit more extreme territory. But that's the story that sticks because it's the most sensational. So... Right. And I think that was Daniel that was talking about, he read a book about all the martyrs and those were the sensational stories that were told. And he's like, whether they were true or not, who knows? But the fact that they were written down made them feel real and made them want to, them as young men, go out and do these things too. They wanted to go reach these people, save them. Right. Got to save them. Mm -hmm. We also talked to a cat named Jimmy Shaw. He's a professor of history of missions And I think that he's an interesting person because, again, this is probably the point where I didn't know that there were classes and stuff you took to be a missionary. Makes sense. At the Oral Roberts University, there sure is. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess my experience when I think of mission, like missionary. (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking about your name. (laughs) Not the position, Aaron. (laughs) The, uh the going out into the world and spreading the gospel, that kind of missionary. Um, I think of people going to Mexico and painting houses. Like that's, you go on spring break (laughs) with your church. Mm -hmm. It's kind of lame in my opinion, but whatever you get to go out of the country for perhaps a cheap plane ticket. I don't know. I think at least I try to believe that we are becoming more aware of the problems that we're bringing to these folks that they didn't have before, right? I would like to think so, but I don't think those people with the mindset of, I have to bring the word of Christ or they'll go to hell, Mm -hmm. think about the fact that they might be bringing disease or other issues into this tribe that Mm -hmm. is living just fine without you. Right. So we also hear some from John's dad, Patrick, at this point. I think Patrick holds a lot of guilt for what happened to John. I, you know, I don't know what to say about that. I'm sure it's very difficult to be a parent. And it seems that he saw some problems in John's development. Obviously you mentioned that he had a couple siblings that were a little bit older. They had pretty standard paths, normal careers, that kind of stuff. It seems like Patrick had some professional problems at, maybe a crucial time for John. And so while Patrick was dealing with some of the implications of some, I don't know, disciplinary stuff, he was a practicing um, psychiatrist. And so there was some kind of problem and he was on probation with his license. So he had to work his butt off to try to get out of that. took him quite a while. And he feels like that negatively affected John and John kind of got lost in this fantasy. And that's sort of how the, radical evangelical part of his, I don't know, thing took hold and down the path he went from there. So from what Patrick wrote, he's an incredibly articulate and deep feeling and great communicator. He just, just poured it all out there for you. And it was just, you just feel the pain um, that he brought to it. So it's just a very human moment or, you know, when you, when you heard Patrick and it's not really him speaking, it's like a voice right. actor, but it's but, his, um, his written yeah. word. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Oh, it is. But was he a good communicator with his children? Because I know, you know, mm-hmm. not every parent is. And then after the fact you have all these revelations, right. It's day late and a dollar short, unfortunately, which is probably what he yeah. feels like. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks about how he tried as a psychiatrist, as a scientist, as someone with logical thinking, he tried to get through mm-hmm. to John to let him know that this isn't, this is a little bit radical. But um, yeah, when kids, especially kids, I'd like to think adults kind of grow out of it a bit, but when kids and young adults get this idealistic view of their purpose in life, because when you're in your teens and twenties, that's what it is, right? What, what is your purpose? What are you doing? And I think that's the easiest time to get into cults and to get into religion of any kind, because it gives you purpose. And he had that purpose in spades. All of his friends that we talked to talked about how, you know, he was just so dedicated like the rest of them were off watching porn on the side where they weren't supposed to as teens but he never <laughs> never like veered off the path as it were he didn't have a girlfriend mm-hmm. he didn't have anything else in his life um that he wanted to focus on and love more than this and on one hand they seemed jealous of having that kind of belief in anything right but also understanding that it might have been a little bit too much you need balance in your life they do kind of bring up later um discussion on messiah complex i meant to go back and kind of get some details on what that is do you have any feelings or anything you want to talk about there no at one point we're talking to a group that helps with missions and we'll talk about them later and a woman says that she they try to weed out the people with the messiah complex because they don't want them going on mission thinking they're the savior when jesus is the savior and i was like Mm -hmm. okay what questions are you asking for the interview to determine that because anyone (laughs) who's going on mission like that has a messiah complex in my opinion even this woman who's running this group has a somewhat of a messiah complex because she feels like she's doing this for other people. It's the same thing just because some people are more, you know, open about it maybe versus others who are like, Oh, it's totally for the Lord. Wink, wink. I don't know. Right. I think they all have it. Right. I just find it weird that John goes on other mission trips. It's not just like he just, started there yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so he goes and he kind of works alongside other people um he actually does quite a bit of preparation but he's filming everything and i find that fascinating hard to focus on god when you're filming everything and i think that's sort of a lost or maybe i'm the only one who ever thought of that i just the marketing part of it is so funny to me. Well, and I wonder, because they discuss that. So his dad discusses once he graduated, he become like avid marathon runner. He was a mountain climber and a hiker. And he was mm-hmm. like a EMT or a mountain tech or all. It was like a running list of things. Mm-hmm. Everything outside. Which is great. And he gets a job working at a park, national park somewhere or something mm-hmm. with people. And he's filming all this stuff and... But they had commented that as he's doing it, he starts to almost be an influencer. This is early in the influencer stage, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. And so, like, he would have specific sandals that he would wear for hiking and specific food that he would eat. And so I'm wondering how much of that was intentional to help supplement income to put aside for this trip, right? Because this is not a free trip and he is trying to get some people to help and get involved, but minimal because this isn't a legal trip he wants to take and he knows it's illegal and you don't want other people to get in trouble for it. 
And so I was curious how much that was him trying to make money mm-hmm. to pay for it. Cause other things like the skills that he was learning was also kind of working towards that goal as well. I guess you're right. As I think Patrick mentions at some point that he never asked for any money. He, whatever he was doing, it was working cause he mm-hmm. didn't really. Now it's also possible he wasn't living extravagantly. So he was making good use of what he did have. Right. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit more about Daniel because he has quite the character arc in this as well. Mm-hmm. Cause he starts off talking about how he was the same way with missionary work. You know, he, he believed that he had the truth and the indigenous people were just sitting waiting for him to come and change their lives. Just, just the most naive thought process oh, yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. He goes to Brazil in October of 1977. He wanted to go learn the language of the, I wrote it down. What is it? Do you remember? Piraha people. The Piraha people. Because no one could speak their language. And so he was going to do it. And then <laughs> preach the word, of course. But again, it comes back to like, well, their kids can learn how to do it. I can learn how to do it. Yeah. Okay, dude. He does work with him for, I think, almost 30 years. Yeah. He talks about how frustrating it can be because, you know, they have this idea of how this is going to work when you start. And then it's not getting that way. It's not going the way he had anticipated. And so you get frustrated. You don't have the same relationships you would have with someone from your own culture. And I thought, well, maybe it's because you don't really want to learn their culture. You just want to force yours on them. And that might be a problem. That's what I said, too, because um, in my notes, it's, yeah, this is, all of this is a means to an end to convert them. Right. And do you think they don't know that, you know? Right. And so the best part is that he's starting to show that, you know, he learns your language. He's part of the tribe now, as it were. And he starts showing them like videos of Jesus, not actual Jesus, but like hopefully a cartoon (laughs) Jesus going and, and living his life and dying on the cross. He's trying to explain all this to them. And they're like, okay, Mm -hmm. sweet. So we can get behind the fact that you believe in this dude that, you know, who does these miracles and things, but we don't know him. So let's, Mm -hmm. let's talk about it. And he's like, all right, sweet. I'm in. And they're like, so what color is he? And Daniel's like, well, some say he's brown, some say he's white. And he's like, okay, but but you met him. What color is he? He's like, oh, no, I've not met him. He's like, oh, so your dad has met him. He's like, no, no, my dad's not met him. They're like, okay, well, who do you know that has met this person? He's like, well, no one. And they're like, how the fuck are you going to come here and tell us about someone that you don't even know? Right. They're, they seem to be much more interested in the practical, right? And to me, right. that's a cultural difference. Right. And I mean, I mean, it's just such a small bit of logic, but Daniel was like, you know, I don't know anything about Jesus other than what's in the Bible. And I'm like, and the best part is I I also really like, I started off really not liking him. And then I kind of warmed over time because he says questions like that and the lack of results. Right. Cause he thought he too was going to bust in there and like, just convert him right away. And it wasn't going to be any big deal. And like, Mm -hmm. God was going to get all the glory, but he was going to get a little glory because that's how (laughs) these things get written up. Right. Right. But because they've changed his perspective with their questions and just general awesomeness, I assume Mm -hmm. he's starting to doubt his own faith. And I'm like, yes. So it's (laughs) (laughs) anti-missionary. 
bring one out of the fold. I don't know. That's probably, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I think that he grows um, and starts to question his motivations and why he's really there. And I think he can say that most missionaries do have some moments like this. So it's not, you know, we all start off with all this fresh, awesome energy. And then as you mellow out over time and, you know, maybe you do like really start to appreciate the different um, viewpoints and processes and all the kind of cool things that are happening in these other societies. I hope so. I hope so too. Yeah. I mean, he does end up getting a divorce because of it. Yeah. He didn't talk to his kids for a couple of years because of it. And, you know, he's no longer a believer. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think he probably works. He's not an anti-missionary man, as it were, but he understands the damage now that mission work can do. It's not mm-hmm. all good. It's probably very little good in the end, unless you're building the wells with fresh water and shit like that. If you're just going in to build a church, stop. But he realizes yeah. there there's a huge power differential there. So it's it's not like you're coming in, you know, at the same level. Right. And there's a lot of hurt that can happen. So I love the fact that, yeah, you're right. When he started, I was like, oh, I don't like him much. <laughs> he comes all the way yeah. back over and he, um, mm-hmm. he seems like a pretty cool cat now. So good for him. And he talks he talks to you, you're talking about the power differential and some, some of examples of that are things like people want to please their visitor, their guest, you know, somebody that I eventually, I I think eventually becomes um, kind of a leader. They want to impress this man. They want to stay in his good graces. And so, you know, Daniel witness people kind of hammered it up, right. Trying to, deliver for that and you know whether or not it was true belief or or whatever mm-hmm. it was unclear and he was like oh that's icky mm-hmm. so yeah yeah sorry before we move off this part you were talking about the little film strips can we talk about what happened after the film strips because it's so great <laughs> yes yes please tell us what happened the okay. the day after they watched the film strips what happened right so there was all the talk about uh, what does Jesus look like? And, you know, Daniel's like, yikes. So the next day, Danny gets word that the people in the village have seen Jesus. He arrived. He was on site with a three foot penis <laughs> and he was trying to hump everybody. And so <laughs> the people, the people decided that the women don't want to have him around. He's just, I mean, the Jesus, Jesus can't come back. Right. Cause he was a little aggressive with his giant wiener <laughs> and they've just decided that maybe that's not for them. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious to hear like Jesus with a big dick. <laughs> Jesus was packing. Right. Terrifying the local women. Yeah. I loved how he said that was their way of saying, listen, the women the women don't want Jesus here. They don't want to hear about that shit anymore. And I'm like, well, right? that's one way to tell someone. That's that's going to be my new approach. I mean, maybe I'll <laughs> try to incorporate that. Yeah. yeah. Look, that dude showed up with a giant dick, like cartoonishly big. We can't have that. No. Have some goddamn coos. Yeah, scared you everyone. Know? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, that was maybe the best story of the entire, <laughs> the entire documentary. I agree. Uh, so to bring it down. Yeah. Sound back back to the horribleness. Right. 
we can talk about Maurice Vidal Portman. Mm-hmm. Think 1880s. I'm there. Okay, good. Um, there's just giant pants, that kind of thing mm-hmm. for these men. He's a documented Andaman explorer. So he's um, on the islands where North Central Island is a part of this chain of islands. Obviously, he's a wealthy British man, maybe a little bit of a brat um, that ended up with a shit assignment in the British Royal Army, which you know mm-hmm. has brought him here. Um, let's see. He writes this book called History of Our Relation with the Andamanese. And then I wrote, what a page turner. Mm. Surely that's got all the good words in it. Yeah, multiple times. Yeah. Right. Um, he seems like he's a bit of a shit. They absolutely discussed that they just came across a family, a mom and a dad and like four children. And they just took them from the North Sentinel Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they just absconded with these folks. And uh, much like a bug under a microscope, the father and mother did not take it very well. They did not do very well. And they died pretty recently. I mean, they pretty quickly. However, they had been healthy, you know, in their own time and world or whatever. And then they were moved and probably did not handle the change well. But then they did let the kids go back. They released the children. Listen, Aaron. So I'm like, cool. They released them with a lot of presents. <laughs> That's what all kids want. Yeah. Sorry about your folks. Here's a trinket. So, yeah. And this is kind of where they talk. There's a lot of pictures of the indigenous folks here. They took thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures. Now. Some are beautiful. Some really show the people in there, you know, doing what they do, just kind of day in the life snapshots, right? And then there's some pretty horrible ones where they're making them stand and like measuring them and like doing all this stupid shit. And I'm like, it looks like some phrenology bullshit kind of thing to me. Exactly what I was going (laughs) to say. Measuring the head and seeing how inferior it was to your own big white skull. Right. Pretty difficult. And at the end of the day, that tribe basically dies off because these people are in there fucking up their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. What's interesting is our friend Adam was the one who had this book and was reading it. And mm-hmm. he had talked about that the last paragraph, the very mm-hmm. end of the book, it says, the Adam and Eve race, so long as they were left to themselves and not in any way interfered with by outside influences, would continue to live. But when we came amongst them, they lost their vitality, which was wholly dependent on being untouched, and the end of the race came. So knowing that they were the end of a civilization, how do you live with yourself knowing you did that? I'm going to guess they didn't have any trouble sleeping at night because these people in their eyes were inferior, right? They weren't. I mean, we've been around and we've tried to get an education. Mm -hmm. And that really just is at the heart of imperialism or colonialism is, you know, you're on our land, like get the fuck off. And if you die in the process, sorry about you or whatever, like, um, you know, we're meant to be here. Yeah. Yeah. It is difficult. Yeah. So 
this is a chain of islands that's off of India. And so the the North Sentinel tribe, the Sentinelese, Sentinelese, have seen over decades this happening to other tribes. They've mm-hmm. seen what has happened. And those people were taken off of their island and the, only the kids were brought back with some weird gifts, probably smallpox blankets. And so, yeah, they're a little a little leery. Why would they want anyone to come to their island? They know what's going to happen. They've seen it happen. Another brilliant point at this kind of conjecture, maybe by um, Dan Everett, when he said, if he, he's kind of supposing for the Sentinelese here, kind of based on what he, you know, the folks that he worked with said, you know, they know these people are coming with bad intentions, mm-hmm. um, mask or, or not. It's possible they're coming to take their resources. We already talked about potentially taking their women, mm-hmm. but also like they can't feed everybody. They're like, look, we got, you know, we got to kind of be somewhat careful of who we let on here. Yeah. Also diseases and things like that. So again, this is a great, <laughs> this is like to say they're wholly untouched. That's by civilization, not by one another. There's probably some communication and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just really funny again for us to be like, well, we haven't talked to them. So they obviously have talked to no one ever, ever. <laughs> oh, so frustrating. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, it's a small island. So the resources are very mm-hmm. limited. Mm-hmm. They probably have fairly decent population control for that reason, if nothing else. And they don't want other people coming there. Yeah. There's another documentary they show that's in black and white of people going to the Adamant Islands and they meet some pygmies. And mm-hmm. apparently one of the traditions is if your partner dies, you wear a piece of them to remember them by. And there was a woman with the, like a human skull on a necklace around her neck. And I thought that's fucking badass. I mean, yeah, kind of, you don't fuck around with that. She could have killed him and taken the skull. That's what I think. <laughs> anyway. I love that. They're like, this is a memento and a warning motherfuckers. That's how I saw it. Hell yeah. <laughs> like a back off bitch. Right. However, the documentarians were like, Imagine making love to a woman who has the skull of her ex around her neck. That's where you went with that. That that would be inconvenient for you if you were sleeping with of her. Of course. <laughs> right. Jesus. I hate everyone. I do too. And you're right. I was like, again, you found out a piece of their culture. You immediately judged it. Mm-hmm. And took it from your perspective. It's just gross. Also, she doesn't want you. No, no not even a little <sighs> bit. And no, they also said these people were man killers. And I'm like, bitch, you went on their island and destroyed their civilization. And you're going to call them man killers? Mm-hmm. No. No. And of course, I think it's fairly well known that they've been labeled as cannibals as well. Pygmies. Yeah. So now... Anthropologically, I think it's interesting to see the variation in people. And so, again, I think this is a sensational story. These people are of different stature than what we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And it made for good storytelling, right? So, Right. Right. Mm-hmm. There's an anthropologist, T.N. Pandit. He says kind of the same thing about the sensationalized stuff that is shown. So he actually has contacted the Sentinelese. Mm-hmm. He did a survey of India. We talked to him. We see some of his journal entries. 
they would go and kind of, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, because they weren't exactly clear, um, they would right. go on a boat and kind of be, there's an exclusion zone around this island, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so yep. they would be on a boat kind of right at the edge of that exclusion zone and just be friendly. Like they would maybe throw coconuts or, you know, try to send stuff over and be friendly as they could be from that far away, still staying a safe mm-hmm. distance. And over time, I think they seemed less threatening and they were able to actually interact with the people at least once. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if it was more than that, but at least once there are pictures of a couple of them swimming with the tribe members. They seem Mm -hmm. um, fairly happy. There were all sorts of pictures from a distance and also up close. Mm -hmm. But the interesting, interesting thing was at a certain point, one of the men took out the men of the tribe took out a knife and made a gesture, um, which could be seen as threatening, but they didn't understand. So just to be safe, they left because they were like, all right, yo, yo, Mm -hmm. time's up. And I thought that's probably best. Even if he Mm -hmm. wasn't threatening, you you're on their land. But then also all these pictures were taken and the ones that get published in like national geographic or, time are only the ones where they are aiming you know a bow and arrow at you to make it look threatening there were none of the other pictures that made them look friendly and dancing or whatever those were never published only the threatening ones right right i really liked him as well because he said you know the measure of a society is that we're comfortable leaving those folks to themselves. If that's really what they want, Mm -hmm. it's not about us. It's about them and preserving them because they're awesome. Just the way they are. Mm -hmm. We don't have any, we don't have to interfere with anything. And I really liked that about what he said. Yeah. He was a really cool cat. I dug him. I thought so as, as well. Yeah. And they, there were some sweet pictures of like, they were smiling and stuff like that. And it's just such a shame that we're such dicks. (laughs) I know. I like the fact that he was able to kind of form enough of a relationship that he could meet them and then had the wherewithal to say, all right, time's up. Let's go. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then, you know, they kind mm-hmm. of backed off and I mm-hmm. think it t- it takes, well, I mean, it's self-preservation too. So <laughs> just the fact that they yeah. got that far. But I mean, the self-awareness and, you know, to just be like, okay, I can go and I don't have to have anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, it just, it's such a, a contrast to everyone else in the story. I just like, I really like that man for, for being a good human being. Just, yeah. you know, think about somebody else for a change. Yeah. Right. Okay. So mm. let's talk about John's plan. John okay. has been working on this for years at this point. Right. So he, I think started talking about this in high school. He's now out of college and he's developed a plan. It's a, it's like a 500 step plan, but here we go. It's like a manifesto. <laughs> there's like flow charts and I don't even know, choose your own adventure. Literally it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. So let's go through it real quick. Mm. His plan is to fly into Port Blair, talk to hotel folks about going sea kayaking, instead rendezvous with a boat possibly discard a surfboard in the ocean to make the disappearance look more believable. Like he's like, I love how he thinks slight subterfuge is all it's going to take. These people will never know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Decide on swimming to a landing point or I'll move you closer 
in a boat under cover of darkness on a moonless night, which in my opinion seems like the worst fucking time ever to swim in the ocean, period. Anyway. Yeah, he also mentions a cloudy night at one point, and I'm like, okay. You're a meteorologist before, mm. you know, before you decide to go. Right, right. Or there's an option to purchase a U.S. flag sailing vessel and sail from the U.S. or Australia on an around-the-world voyage, which had he done that, I think maybe he just would have gotten caught up in being around the world and maybe not stopped there. Oh, well. Right. Depart from the ship near North Sentinel Island via kayak on a cloudy night. Now we're back to a cloudy night. Outside the three-mile exclusion zone and paddle to the island. Land on the shore wearing sandals to protect from stepping on the coral. And he did mention a brand there, by the way, which I'm not going to mention. 100%. Um, Shed wet clothing. Wear briefs to avoid sunburn on your bits because the rest of you is exposed. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not as bright as he thought he was. Anyway, wear briefs mm-hmm. to avoid sunburn and sit cross-legged to await the arrival of the Sentinelese, according to Pendant's observations on how they welcome each other by sitting on each other's laps. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Show them that we are friendly and non-threatening. I mean, you're by coming on their land and sitting on your lap. <laughs> yeah. like that seems aggressive. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, you're just, yeah. Give gifts. What gifts? But do you got to give them an iPhone? They can fish. They can get their own fucking food. Anyway. Yeah. Express yeah. desire to stay with them. Keep in mind, they don't speak each other's language. So mm-hmm. focus on learning everything from them in order to give them clear, contextualized explanation of the gospel. Ugh. Focus on learning their myths and legends to find redemptive analogies, but will not disregard the facts of the gospel. Okay. So... Much like all religions, steal from others to make it work for you. Mm -hmm. Establish Christ-centered churches. Caveat. This will be up to them, and the team will not bring any colonizing mentalities into this mission. Sir, too late. The minute you got there. Too late. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the last point was, missionary could potentially reside for the rest of his life on the island and must be accepting of that possibility. In fact, he did reside the rest of his life on that island, so... <laughs> Mission accomplished. Uh, <laughs> right. Lack of a better term. He was prepared. So, while this very thorough explanation by you is happening on screen, what we're seeing is animation of it's almost like a film strip, like a Dilbert, if you will. <laughs> um, except my favorite part is, and I don't know how much is in his journal and how much they're kind of, you know, just riffing off of this but it's like it shows him in the woods hunting wild pigs with the kids and he's shooting an arrow and it misses and then he's like Doy! you know and the kids are <laughs> laughing and it's again the fantasy portion of this is just ripe right it's just all over the place mm-hmm. um he continually he continuously gets longer hair and a beard and he really starts to look like jesus mm-hmm. um, yeah the uh, so it's sort of like an interesting, um, I don't know if they were, you know, taking from what he said or they were just kind of supposing, but boy, oh boy, was, uh, was it something to watch that? Yeah. Now we meet possibly one of the most disturbing people in the entire thing, because at least the cat in the 1880s, I I don't know, I, he's so far removed from me that as much as I can say it's horrible, this chick lives now. 
Um, right. Oh, yeah. Bad stuff. Her name is Pam. She does risk management for all nations, which organizes missions around the world. So I'm already, I dislike her. She, this, these words came out of her face, guys. She mm-hmm. said that there's a people group that we decide you're not going to learn about Jesus, that will decide for you that you will not know Jesus, that this is a basic violation of their human rights, that we can't make the decision that they can't know Jesus. We have to give them that option. Right. I have absolutely no words. How would she feel if I went to her and said, well, you need, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to live with you for the next five years to make sure you understand the teachings of Satan. And then you can make your decisions. Mm -hmm. How, how do you feel about that? Right. Because it's not enough to just uh, get in there and be like waving a Bible at somebody, because again, nobody speaks the same language. It's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. So you're preying upon people's goodwill and, courtesy for guests because that's a big deal in a lot of places mm-hmm. i have very few guests and i think my courtesy for guests is falling off the map <laughs> very fast these days. like just get out of my house please yeah yeah so there's also a lady named mary ho they're kind of talking in particular mm-hmm. uh to the two of these women can we talk about their role playing <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah they when John contacts them and tells mm-hmm. them what he wants to do and they're like, okay. And John says he wants to learn other cultures. They want him to experience other cultures before he does this big leap. And their way to do that isn't to send him to other cultures and learn, but rather to act them out. Right. So imagine going to your local park and you see a couple people walking up to a wooded area. I don't know. And then a bunch of other people jump out of the wooded area with like sticks and stuff. And they're like doing a mock role play of a first contact. Mm -hmm. And the big stakes are if you don't do something right in this made up situation, you just get rebuffed and you have to like try again. Mm -hmm. And just, I just can't imagine being a mom, like pushing my kid on the swing set and being like, what the fuck is that LARPing stuff going on over there? Like that's probably <laughs> insulting to the LARPers yes. of the world. So I'm sorry about that. But yeah, that's, that's how they prepared them. Again, they didn't give them firsthand knowledge. They were like, let's just walk through it a couple of times from our white perspective. And it'd be fine. This is exactly right. You just need to mm-hmm. change a few of the words that come out of your mouth that they don't even understand. And then they'll accept you in. Yeah. Right. Now, Pam has to make sure that you know that she speaks a language only 35,000 people in the world speak. Mm -hmm. And just for these moments when she can shout something at you in a uh, little known language to scare you into getting it right next time. I don't know. It's a really weird concept. It seems like a super useful language to know, by the way. (laughs) Let's not learn Mandarin, which is like the most common language i yeah. think because there are so many people spanish english mm-hmm. she already knows english but you know what i mean i do useful I do. languages mm-hmm. yeah and they also i think it's interesting is that pam honestly thought john would get accepted into the tribe like even though they understand this tribe has been very adamant about making sure people know they don't want to be contacted they you know posture and have weapons in that they don't want you coming onto their land but john was different and she thought he would be accepted 
I hope she feels well, a little bit of responsibility because I think this group probably helped send him out there and feed that uh, desire or whatever, that fantasy. Yeah, because at the end of the day, this is a calling. They want you to go and do this. There doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, real regard for should we do this? Mm-mm. I mean, there's not a lot of evaluation. It's more like, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to get them mm-hmm. converted rather than like, are we doing the right thing here? Is this like, I don't know. Um, it's just, it's disgusting. <laughs> so that's why I can put it for you. It is. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about uh, the culmination here? Yeah. How we did? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. So November 14, 2008, John is in Port Blair. Apparently he was in a safe house for about 11 days. The original date was pushed back due to a cyclone in the Bay of Bengal. Do you think maybe that was a fucking sign? In my opinion, <laughs> God was saying, no, sir. Let's Just leave him alone, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was somebody named Bobby who he was friends with. He's a minister. He's an evangelical minister. You see him preaching throughout. Apparently he was there with him for a few days, but there's no mention of him anywhere in the diary or anything. Cause they don't want him associated with this because it's illegal and they didn't want to get in trouble. But apparently people had no problem mentioning his name now. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. But he left a few days before John went to the Island. So John met with some fishermen who were all believers. So they agreed to drop him off. Were they believers in the word or your money? Either way. I was going to say, because there was a, they made it very poignant to make sure that you saw <laughs> there was money that changed hands. So I too was like, mm-hmm. they must've really been into, yeah, like yeah. a believer in your divine right here. <laughs> in capitalism. Um, sure. And this is all from his journals, by the way, this part. Mm-hmm. As they're on the boat waiting to make contact, they see a light in the distance. It's the Coast Guard. And uh, God himself shielded them from sight from the Coast Guard. Or the fact that you were too far away for the light to reach you. Basic physics. Well, I mean, who put you too far away? Hmm? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) God just blew you a little farther away. Right. He kayaked up to the shore with his Bible and some fish. Again, these, these cats can fish all by themselves. They don't need your fish. He tried to talk to them. And a little kid shot an arrow through his Bible which I think is fucking hilarious and a very nice warning shot to say back off, bitch. Next time we won't miss. Right. And he's preaching to them yeah. from the shallows with his waterproof Bible and fish. Mm-hmm. And so he's just basically rolling up on them yelling gibberish unless yeah. they know English it's possible, I suppose. Yeah, he gets, um, he's very, he's very conscious to make sure that you know that he doesn't hold that against the kid that shot the arrow at his Bible. Yeah. 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 So he makes it back to the boat and he's a little distraught at first, you know, like, why did this happen? Why didn't they just accept me? He (laughs) legitimately thought it really wasn't going to be that hard. Right. Oh yeah. 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 The God was with him that much. And I mean, like, why didn't you just ride a tidal wave into the. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like Aquaman or something. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, and he's questioning, should he go back? Is it if he doesn't want to have a failed mission, but then he has a vision here and he has a vision which sets him on his path. 
And at least he wrote a very lovely note to his parents in the diary so they could see it in case something went wrong. He does go back and he, they don't miss this time. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a mystery, right? They don't necessarily have all the details the way it's portrayed that I saw was that he was shot and left on the beach. Yeah. My understanding is there are images of him on the beach. Okay. Um, so we'll call that confirmation. Mm-hmm. But he was not recovered. Like his remains were not recovered. But they did give like his items and stuff back to his folks, which is how they got his journals of those last few days. So um, he was not successful. However, he's going to be known as a martyr yes. in the church. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing now is, you know, his faith was so great. And he went and did this without really any qualms. What the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To the rest of the people who knew him, to the rest of the con- congregation. You know, so now this is going to be a tool to shame people for not throwing their life away. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, and, and as sad as these people were that knew him, they're also elated because you're right. He is a martyr now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Indian government did not go retrieve the body. Mm-hmm. Like They're like, listen. That's their land. We're not going. Apparently, there's still an mm-hmm. investigation into the murder. And I'm like, is there, though? Because I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, what's the alternative? Like, everybody, he was very clear about what his intentions were. Yes. It's also been made very clear that these people um, aren't open to visitors. So mm-hmm. I don't know that there's, like, kind of a murder for hire. Like, what else would it have been? It's just funny right. to think about. Right. You know, it's okay. Just to say, we know what happened. Case closed. Yeah. Yeah. And he knew it was illegal. He knew the risks of going there. He just believed that his faith was strong enough that it wouldn't happen to him. Mm -hmm. And I just want to point out that there are so many times in history that people go to war for God and both sides are praying to God to win. Mm -hmm. Both sides will not win. (laughs) One side will win, but they both pray to the same God. So and they both believe they had God on their side. Mm-hmm. So if there is a God, he doesn't give a shit. It just honestly, it seems yeah. like maybe just take care of yourself and, and leave other people alone is, is the lesson to learn from this. Well, I think another thing is I would like to say is, if you want to go and represent, do it here. Um, take care of the poor. Um, Thank you. Do good works and don't expect anything from it. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. I had that written in my notes too, that it's all about the glory of of doing something big and huge when the reality is it's the very small things that save people. Right. It, it's it's the giving someone a winter coat who doesn't have one. It's feeding someone who's right. hungry. And those small acts should be what's seen as saving people. Not going to some fucking island in the middle of nowhere that doesn't want you there. Right. And 
I mean, I'm not going to say, I know I, we are critical of Christians and churches and I think they deserve that. I think there are people and there are instances where good things are happening. Absolutely. But we don't hear about them. And that's the way it's that's supposed the point. to be. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think the difference is, is those people would be good people regardless. They just happen to be Christian. Yes. Yeah. But there are a lot of Christians who, that's all I hear about. Like they go to do something and they're like, well, I'm a good Christian. I'm like, who are you trying to convince? Is me or you? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. Yeah. It's unfortunate. But you also, yeah, I don't need somebody to tell me to care for the people in my life, give when I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, give when I can Mm -hmm. volunteer, you know, Mm -hmm. all the kinds of things I, I want as I, you know, get a little older and my kids are out of the house a little bit more, I would like to do some volunteering Mm -hmm. and like show up for my community in a new way for me, but I don't have to have that banner behind me unless we want to start a church. We've talked about that. Think of how awesome our church would be, though, because that's what we would do. Yeah. It's just cool, fun stuff mm-hmm. that helps people. Yeah, we'd have a good yeah. church. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. It would be about community, and it wouldn't be about judging you and making you feel bad mm-hmm. if you're a woman at all. So mm. <laughs> anyway, I I don't – the story is tough because somebody died and it affected a family, and I don't like that part of it. But I do like the discussion of – are we really looking at our motives here for what this was mm-hmm. and how are we looking at the aftermath of this? What are we telling people about it? Um, I'm not telling anybody about it other than to say, I think this was a real big miss and we need to reconsider <laughs> a lot of the things um, mm-hmm. that missions and uh, missionary work stands for, but I will probably be talking to people who are not interested in, you know, hearing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the yeah. thing is, is most of the people outside of that evangelical crowd or Mormons or whatever, we understand sure. that mission work is not necessarily beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go do good things in communities that need help without bringing Jesus into it. You can bring them clean water. You can help them build schools. You can help bring books. Mm-hmm. Those things are good deeds. You don't have to bring Jesus into it for that. Mm-hmm. You just be a good person. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. help for help's sake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Did you have an honorary Aaron for this week? I did. I chose John's dad because mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like as a parent, he really tried and he struggled. And I think every parent has struggles. And I feel like Oh, his letter was so heartbreaking. Like he, he just really tried to give his son good guidance and good, a good example. And, you know, there were times where he struggled as we all do. Mm-hmm. And I think he represents a lot of parents. So I, I'm yeah. making him an honorary AA Ron this week. I like that. I didn't mention it before, but they did talk about, there was one point where they had to kind of call a truce, like agree to disagree so they could still like have a relationship mm-hmm. and, I think that that's um, bold, right? That you don't have to be right, mm-hmm. um, that you value that relationship. So he seems like a cool cat to me as well. Mm-hmm. I chose Dan. Good choice. It was a real love-hate thing there for a hot minute until <laughs> at the end when he was like, just leave people alone, please. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's why I said from the beginning. But I appreciate when somebody realizes that they're wrong. Yep. And it is kind of a cool adventure, I will say, to go in and just learn for the sake of learning. Mm-hmm. And not try to force stuff on people, but um, 
that's braver than I am. So he really did have the best character development of the entire thing. Yeah. And maybe John would have had he lived to tell the tale. I will say that there were very few women in John's life. It seemed like, like he had friends, but he didn't have a girlfriend. And I did think at one point in time, maybe if he had a girlfriend, she could have talked him out of this stupid nonsense, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a couple of things maybe at play there. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Next week. Next week. I'm excited for next week, Erin. What are we doing? So you listeners may know that we have a, secret love affair with david farrier the journalist <laughs> it's one-sided yeah he doesn't, he doesn't know, either. know us it's fine <laughs> so he did dark tourist he did tickled which we've covered um he just seems like the best so he has a new documentary called mr organ it's on netflix an hour and 36 minutes so we are going to partake surely on name alone i've seen some advertisements a long time ago but it's just now available to us and i forget what it's about other than that he's a, he's investigating a shady character yes that's about it and he's mm-hmm. always investigating shady characters so i'm sure we'll get to the bottom of something i agree so i'm very excited to uh to watch that um it's cold here so i need something to do inside mm-hmm. <laughs> Fine. yeah so so cold mm-hmm. all right guys uh thanks for joining us this week i hope if you haven't seen the mission that you go out and watch it because it is a really good documentary. It is somewhat tragic, but educational. So give it a watch Mm -hmm. and we will talk to you next week. All right. Later. Bye.